Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 53rd episode. As a mental performance coach, I have the honor to work with athletes to enhance their mental game and give them the tools to unlock their full potential. And the reason why I created 90% Mental is to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes and coaches so they can share their stories and perspectives on the mental game. So today I have Wes Simmons, president and CEO of 3D Institute, an incredible company that provides professional services for coaches. 3D coaching is a proven three-dimensional approach that focuses on fundamentals, psychology, and the heart of the athlete, which is awesome. And I can't wait to share this interview with you because Wes talks about the difference between transactional coaching versus transformational coaching and how to coach with love versus fear. And I'll quote Wes, when you coach all athletes of their being, you get the best out of them which is incredible and awesome. So if you're a coach that wants to improve your coaching skills and wants to improve your overall program, you're going to love this interview. And I encourage you to check out 3D Institute and learn how they can impact you and your program. Again, I can't wait to share this episode with you. So without further ado, let's go talk to Wes. Hey, Wes, how are you? Great to be with you. It's an honor to be on your show, and I can't wait to discuss coaching. You bet, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. Not only just to talk about coaching, talk about your company, 3D Institute, which has that framework, 3D coaching, and just talk about your perspective of coaching and how basically your framework has helped hundreds of coaches throughout the United States. So I'm really excited to have you on my show. Oh, again, it's my, my privilege and my honor. Awesome. Well, I always kick off my show with this with this question, and considering your coaching background, training background, and also your athletic background, really interested to, to hear what your answer is to this question. So what does mentally tough mean to you? I would say that mentally tough ultimately boils down to controlling the controllables. And the way I like to think about that, and the way I like to help athletes I still coach think about that is certain things we can control, certain things we can't control. And certainly those things that we can control, it's been around a while. It's kind of become cliche in certain coaching circles is attitude and effort. But the ability to control your attitude, control your effort, regardless of the situation, uh, displays great mental toughness. But I always like to add one more to that. There's something else that we can control, and that's our ability to control how we treat others. Mm. So to me, and when we share this with the athletes that we coach, is that controlling the controllables is your is controlling your attitude, your effort, and how you treat others, regardless of the circumstance. Absolutely, attitude, effort, and control. I love it. I love it. Now, from your perspective, obviously being a coach and also training coaches, what do you think it means to be mentally tough for a coach? Well, I don't think it's a different definition. I think that uh, it's speed of the leader, speed of the team. Coaches have such a tremendous position of influence and authority in the life of the adolescent in the 21st century that what they embody, this is what we always try to help coaches think about, is what a coach says, what a coach does, how a coach makes an athlete feel will be remembered forever. But that also sets the tone for every time they come and show up on the practice field or in the game. So it's it's about controlling those same things, really. You know, you I, you just took the answer of my next question, <laughs> which was, you know, how influential are these coaches? And you're right. You know, I played football for a long time. And when I was 15 years old, when I was 18 years old, even when I was 10, 
the way that I was coached, uh, good or bad, has left a mark and a memory. So it's really important, like you said, how these coaches go about working with adolescents because it's these kids are going to remember for the rest of their lives. So it's a, it's a great point. It's a uh, it's a very formative time of life, especially in youth sports where kids are trying to forge an identity, misconceptions about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and how uh, masculinity is affirmed on, on young boys who are athletic and those types of things. And so I think all, all the boys, especially but the girls as well, we're all looking for, we're all on a quest to discover, you know, do I have what it takes? And, um, you know, it's such a formative time that, again, what we tell coaches is we remind them that, that a single coach will have more impact in a year than the average person does in a lifetime and how they interact, how they make that athlete feel will be remembered forever. So, you know, great power requires great character for it to be a blessing and not a curse because you, you never know what's going to stick. And I could think of things that my coaches have said to me that for good have stuck and still serve me well to this day as a 40 year old man with four kids and uh, you know, my wife and, and my relationships and those have been very positive messages, but there's there's plenty of messages that would serve me well to forget as well. Mm. So coaches always got to remember that, that you never know it's going to stick with an athlete forever. Forever. That's a great point. Great point. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background. I mean, you played championship football at the D2 level in the late 90s. And do you think there's been a shift in coaching since the time you played or do you think, when I mean shift, I mean by the style of coaching, or do you think there is a need for the shift in styles currently? Uh, it depends on your experience, obviously. I I was very fortunate to play for great coaches really all the way through my youth sport journey. As I, as I reflect on um, you know my athletic career from the age of four, the first time I put a helmet on and, and took a bat up and took a hack at that ball on a tee, you know, mm. e ball at the age of four, all the way forward. I, I can't recall a coach who wounded me. And I, but I hear so many stories of that. So I feel very fortunate from that standpoint. Some coaches were forgettable. I mean, there was, there was coaches that weren't necessarily uh, made this tremendous impact in my life for good or for bad. They just were collecting a paycheck or just, you know, volunteering to, to fill a need, but for the most part, I had really good coaches. And in high school, you know, before I had the opportunity to play championship football in college, I had the opportunity to play championship football in high school. We won a state championship in the state of Missouri, uh, moved to a, a small town, you know, medium-sized town outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, they had this program was not historically successful from the, the late 60s, early 70s. So a couple, a couple decades have gone by with, you know, 500 or below football on average. And I'll never forget Coach Banuki. Coach Coach showed up and he instilled a mindset in us right out of the gate that we are to expect to win, which he probably borrowed from Lombardi or somebody. I'm not sure. But to us, that was that was Coach Banuki's statement. He drilled at home. He changed our mindset. And we were able to, uh, you know, turn the tide of that program. We ended up winning the state title. That was my junior year, really set the stage for recruiting and all those things. And I was a bit of a tweener. You know, when it came to uh, the recruiting process, I was on the bubble. You know, when it all boiled down, I had some invited walk-ons at D1 schools, but my only options really for to, to receive a scholarship were Division II schools. 
I kind of drank the Kool-Aid with recruiting. I didn't really know the reality of what it means to get letters, what it means to get phone calls and handwritten letters and all those things. Uh, the reality of scholarship limits and, and official business, I, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I kind of put all of my eggs in that basket in Division One. But after Christmas break, my senior year, my only options were D2 schools. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I, I had not done any homework on Division II schools. So I kind of set my visits up in random order. And really, I, I, let, me, let me preface that. There was one school I knew something about, and that was the school I ended up going to. But at that point in my career, that was the one school on the planet I said I would not go to because my parents went there. And mm. I had enough rebel in me at 18 that, you know, I'm going at least 500 miles away from there. <laughs> so, but, you know, I figured I might as well take the trip and go enjoy the recruiting trip and all that. So I intentionally set them up that last weekend before signing date, thinking I'm not going there anyway, but might as well take the trip. When I showed up in that program, though, when I showed up on that recruiting visit, there was just something different. There was, there was an it factor that I didn't see in any other trips. And there was just a cohesion to the group. There was camaraderie. They used words like family, brotherhood. Uh, you know, they didn't talk about the previous couple of generations, which that school historically hadn't had back-to-back winning seasons in 20 years, but they were talking about where they were going. And you could just tell these coaches were using their influence to create an environment or an atmosphere where relationships flourished. And the beauty of that drew me in. I signed there. Most of uh, my friends and family were curious as to why I would sign at a school that has no tradition, no, no facilities necessarily, no long record of wins or championship banners or, or rings or trophies. And I couldn't describe it, but I just said, I don't know, there's an it factor. And I went there. Now, I was very fortunate to come at a time where these coaches really started figuring some things out and really gives me a lot of passion for what I do now because in retrospect, in retrospect, what we seek to train coaches to be through our training and our company is really to emulate a lot of what I was able to experience in those years. But yeah, it was incredible the way they created those atmosphere, the atmosphere where relationships flourish. Kids worked extremely hard. They bought into the team concept and we had a lot of success. So, uh, you know, I think we went 52 and four over that four year span, won two national championships. Wow. Back to your question has, has, has coaching changed or does it need to change? You know, I'd say all that to say that I had a great experience that was a bit of an anomaly, I think, in the 90s uh, with coaches and, and, you know, these kind of transformational coaches. They've been around for a long time, maybe not in droves, but you've you've seen the the Pat Summits, the Bobby Bowdens, the Tom Osborns, the, you know, the John Woodens, these coaches that have a tremendous legacy of winning, but also those who came through those programs you know, there's an ever-expanding list of alumni and people like that to say that coach touched my life and changed my life. Uh, so, you know, I, but but here's the big difference between the late 90s and really now. I think there's been a, a dramatic shift in the way youth sport is experienced. And really, I think you can trace it back to around the turn of the century, year 2000 or so, that youth sports is fundamentally different, experienced uh, experienced completely different than I experienced it as a kid growing up in the eighties and nineties. And there's a lot of unintended consequences with that, that are producing a lot of the issues that we find frustrate coaches. Now kids that, that are entitled, they're 
they're not resilient, they're anxious, they're depressed. Uh, you know, and I'm speaking with a broad brush, but as we as we travel the country, I mean, these are the issues that coaches are dealing with. Kids that aren't motivated uh, properly or they're unmotivated or they're motivated by the stuff, the extrinsics, right? And all these things. So right. something shifted. And I believe that we're at a, at a point that coaches need to understand the essential reasoning why they do need to coach the heart of the player and not just the skills and strategies of the game. Because when, when we coach the heart, it's a life-giving thing where kids don't quit. But here's the deal. We, we've got about 72% of kids quitting sport at the age before 13 now. Wow. So this whole idea of uh, you know 12-year-old burnout did not exist when I was a kid. Mm. Did I have some bad coaches growing up? Yeah, probably. Were there a lot of bad coaches that, that were just transactional? Yeah. You know, but, but I didn't need a coach to coach my heart, really. Should they have? Sure. I benefited from that. But I had mom and dad at home. You know, my identity was secure. I had, I had parents in a, in, a, in a community that helped me grow beyond the physical. I showed up sports to, to get bigger, faster, stronger. Kids are coming into programs with so many issues, plus so much competition or the doubt that, you know, if we, if we don't coach their heart, if we don't give them something beyond just the grinded out kind of uh, experience, they'll quit. And that's what we're seeing. You know, this this 12-year-old burnout, it, it's sweeping the nation right now. For sure. You know, and I think, and I think you're 100% right, and I think, you know, to add a, a couple more elements to that list is, you know, since the late 90s or the 90s to now, you have a couple factors, one being specialization, right? You have a lot of these athletes that are playing one sport year-round, which can cause burnout and cause a lot of things. And you also, on top of that, you have parents. I think parents have had different, they have different motivations now, um, whether if it's kids going pro, kids getting a scholarship, and that's putting a lot of pressure. So I definitely, that's real right now. But I also, what I love is, what you're saying about coaching the heart. And I think for you, and, and again, you can disagree with me or add to it, but I think what took your heart, not only as a coach is, it's the, it's the culture, right? If, you, if you're coaching culture and you're, and you're implementing culture, that to me as a player can, can get to the heart real quick and keep the heart thriving and alive with an environment, whether if you're second string, third string, if your environment and your culture is thriving, then you're you're going to get a lot of that that environment and the, and the coaching style. So, so I, I love what you're saying, and I and I'm going to touch a little bit more about culture and coaching and all that stuff, you know, throughout our our episode here. That's great. Awesome. Yeah, parents' motivation has definitely changed. You know, I I hate to you know I don't want to I don't want to scapegoat anybody, but as I think back. And this is certainly isn't scapegoating this individual, but I believe there was uh, around the year 2000. This is just the event I can remember that I think really went social before social media was available. Mm. That was the video that surfaced of Tiger Woods on the Johnny Carson show, hitting a, hitting a golf ball at the age of two, you know, just hitting it straight and narrow, and, and just just this incredibly skilled little kid. And I can remember that being on the late night talk shows. I mean, it was a rerun of Johnny Carson, obviously, from when Tiger was a kid. But I remember that was on the news cycle. It was on ESPN. And whether that was 
a literal tipping point or just, you know, in my imagination about the time when that thing hit the airwaves and the TV shows, uh, it, it captured the, the imagination of a generation of parents, I think, that, oh, I think, wow, yeah. I want my kid to be the next Tiger Woods. we got to start now. And so what we've seen is a, a trend of really a, a power performance, hyper-competitive model of, you know, adult model of, of competition being shoved down younger and younger and younger and younger on kids all the time. Uh, and so with that, obviously, is a, is a great deal of money being, quote, invested in a kid's athletic development. And the thing I always like to help parents understand is, listen, it, there, there's probably not a worse investment than in youth sports. <laughs> now, I preface that to say, you know, when when sports is a ticket out of a situation or an environment or a community and a kid gets a scholarship and they go on and, and they break cycles of poverty and, and they, they start a new limb in their family tree of college education and those types of things, I mean, those are all great things. So I'm not dismissing that at all. But what I am saying is, as a quote investment, I mean, listen, it's it's about 2% of high school varsity athletes will get a scholarship, you know, and that's a partial in most cases. And, you know, about a year ago, USA Today put an article out highlighting that there's, it's almost 20% of families in America are spending $1,000 or more per kid per month on elite travel youth sports. And it's almost 10% that are spending $2,000 or more per month. And you really think about that. And so we've got kids, you know, we've got parents spending anywhere from, you know, twelve to $24,000 a year on elite travel sports. And if they're one of the top 2% that gets a piece of the scholarship pie at the end of the rainbow, you're talking on average, it's about $11,000 a year or less. Wow. So just in terms of financial, I mean, it, you know, it, it's a terrible investment. But worse than that, what I think, you know, when, when and I'm a parent and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. The problem we have when we, we take the mentality of I'm investing in my kid's youth sport is that it creates a certain mindset. And that mindset is if I'm investing, I expect a return on that investment. And it breeds a very transactional relationship with our kids. And unintentionally, I think what happens is we, we pass on a, a message that really your identity, your self-worth, your value, which are all issues of the heart, are all based on your performance. That's a train wreck right. for, for a healthy life. For sure, know? for sure. And so, especially coming from someone who should be sending the opposite message that I love you unconditionally, regardless of how you, well you perform. But we get caught up in it. And, it's, and so it takes some understanding, it takes some education, and really a shift in the mindset. And what I try to help parents understand is, hey, quit investing in your kids' youth sport. Now, that doesn't mean don't you know, spend money and travel and do some great things that are uh, great experiences. But just shift the mindset from investment so I'm giving my kid the gift of playing sport. Yeah, that still allows you to do all the things you want to do, but it creates a healthy mindset because when you give a gift, you don't expect a return on that, and that's what we need. That's what our kids need. They need that unconditional love from mom and dad. I love it. I love it, and I think all the things we're talking about, all the the topics, uh, I think and I believe that your company definitely addresses all these topics and helps coaches to not only to uh, coach the athlete, coach the culture, coach parents. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hear a little bit more about it, So about your company. So since you are the president and CEO, CEO for 3D Institute, which basically delivers proven frameworks for coaches to be successful, 
Tell me a little bit more about your company and the vision of 3D Institute. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, CEO. The way here's the way. I, first of all, I'll just say, <laughs> speak to that title. You know, the way I think of that is, I'm the chief encouragement officer. You know, we've got a we've got a team uh, of, of volunteers and some staff that are sharing this message, and my job is to encourage them and encourage coaches, because coaches are. I, I believe they do hold the keys to the heart of a you know to the heart of a generation. Sports become the largest discretionary activity that kids are involved in, and obviously that impact goes not just with the kids but the parents and fans and, and really out to the community. So, you know, this is a we're, we are a mission over margin company. You know, we we need to pay our bills and we need to you know, you know if if our if our business is our charity, we lose them both. <laughs> uh, so. But at the same time, we, everything we do is is more of a mission mindset than a margin mindset, and we want to be able to help coaches not just at elite level of, of pro or college that have some big training budget or some big high school that's uh, in an affluent society or you know community. We want to be able to provide our training for coaches at whatever level they exist because the influence is the same. So, um, you know, 3D is a framework. That's that's the way to think about what 3D is. And the framework really was developed by Dr. Jeff Duke. Dr. Jeff Duke is currently, he's a high school coach and he is university instructor at the University of Central Florida where he teaches this concept. Several years ago, he got a grant from the state of Florida to create a degree program where you get your, actually your undergrad in coaching. And where 3D came out of was really his own life experience. He, he had the opportunity to coach for Bobby Bowden at Florida State for 14 years. So he saw firsthand this coach who obviously could get it done on the field, but also had created a culture as we've been talking about where kids would run through a brick wall for him, you know, cause he'd capture their heart. Uh, after that and, and some other, you know, experiences that he had, he went back to school and what he did was he studied the role and the influence of coaches in America. And, and what he found was really nothing new because the whole idea of, holistic coaching or, you know, body, mind, spirit, that kind of literature has been out there forever. It's just so much of it has been on the top shelf, kind of locked away in, in academic language. It isn't very accessible to coaches. So what Jeff did beautifully was just took a lot of this, the sports psychology and a lot of the research that was out there and turned it into a simple framework that coaches can grasp. And we call it 3D. Uh, if you go to our website, you can see a picture of what I'm talking about, but I'll try to describe it. We use a pyramid diagram uh, to illustrate the framework. It's in three layers, uh, three layers, three levels. And that first level is the first dimension. If coaches are going to be great, they're going to be coaches that are great in the first dimension, period. So these are the issues of strength, power, cardiovascular, speed, quickness, agility, tactics, repetition. If you're going to be a great coach, you're going to be great at those eight. So what 3D is not is kind of an attempt to uh, negate the importance of the first dimension. Sport is first and foremost physical, so coaches need to develop strategies and knowledge to coach the physical component of the game. We call that the first dimension, uh, the science of sport, if you will. It's the skill set. As important as the skill set is, We've already talked about it a little bit here. So is the mindset. And that, now we're talking about what we call the second dimension. It's sports psychology, but we really try to keep it in the realm of applied psychology. 
what what does the research show and then how can we just turn that into practical coaching strategies so that coaches can deal with issues like motivation or, or in coaching, how do you motivate a kid who's only motivated by the stuff, mm. you know, position, playing time, potential scholarship, rings or trophies, the right gear, got to have the best facilities. Now that stuff's good. There's nothing wrong with that stuff, but everything is trending towards more and more extrinsic motivation all the time. Yep. You know, it's, and it's, it's unsustainable, quite frankly. It just, budgets go through the roof. It requires more and more and more to keep working, but it delivers less and less and less. So what we try to do is say, okay, coach, do you have strategies to motivate your athletes from within intrinsically? Things like confidence. Confidence is a huge psychological factor, but see, most coaches don't have strategies for that. Mm. They just get frustrated. And and here's the thing. When coaches don't have strategies for the, the second or third dimensions, they try to fix it all in the first dimension. Motivation. Con- you know, if you're not going to show up on time, you're not going to be motivated, then take a lap. What is that? That's a motivation <laughs> issue. That's something different, but I don't have a strategy for it, so I'm going to punish it in the first dimension. Right. It needs to work. I mean, it still can work towards the end of behavior modification, but is that best? I mean, shouldn't we be striving for more than just mere behavior modification? Heart transformation is what we want. So, what we're trying to help coaches understand and what our framework helps them understand is if you have second dimension issues, you need second dimension strategies. So the framework helps you be diagnostic and therefore prescriptive. Mm. So, you know, motivation, confidence, emotions, emotions can help or harm performance. You know, again, most coaches don't have strategies, so they just get frustrated with a kid that's emotionally not in where they want to be and they'll yell at them or they'll, you know, team cohesion. That's a, that's a, obviously a fancy word for how do you get a team to come together. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, and that's huge in sports, but most coaches don't have strategies. It's like, Hey guys, we're either going to get along or we're going to run. <laughs> Any listeners out there that want to try that with their spouses? Don't recommend it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know, I like, agree. All the guys, all the guys would be like, you know, guys, if, um, if running were a solution to relationships, our wives and significant others would all have whistles. We'd be out running the neighborhood. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, when you put it like that, it's kind of absurd, but that's, that's what most coaches do. And, you know, and I'm not saying there's never a time to to run a kid either. I mean, you got to know your kids. Yeah, for sure. But it's not necessarily going to change. It'll deal with symptoms, not, not the heart of the issue. So, you know, goal setting is another second dimension issue. That's all second dimension. It deals with the social, emotional, relational components of sport. And ha- the mindset, how do I think about myself and uh, toward myself and in relationship with others is the way we put that. And then the third dimension is the heart. You know, it's, it's that deeper kind of executive center of the being. And the role of the heart is to really choose what we will value and ascribe worth to. So these are the issues of things like identity, character, significance, self-worth, value, purpose. That's deeper, right? And, you know, most coaches don't even really go there because it's so, un, you know, not tangible. Uh, but what we find is there are some things you can tangibly do to coach the heart. Really, it starts with a coach embodying the right kind of character and, and serving as that, that model because that's their greatest, quote, strategy is just to, you know, 
to be the change they want to see in their athletes or whatever. Uh, but there are things you can do, but most coaches don't really value that as part of what they're doing already. And they spend all their time, all their energy, all their effort, all their money on developing the science of sport, mm. the fundamentals. Yeah. My fear is that what's being lost is the art of coaching. That's deeper. hundred percent. Well, when you think of your, the three dimensions, fundamentals, psych- psychology, and heart, what do you think is more difficult for a coach that's been coaching one way for a long time for he or she to adapt to any of these dimensions? What do you think is the hardest dimension for a coach that's been coaching one style for a long time? Well, I think it's, you know, we're all creatures of habit. And if you think about coaching, it's really, it's one of the few positions, uh, you know, if you're doing this as a career or even as a volunteer, it's one of the few roles that is very much a, uh, an apprenticeship type position, <laughs> you know, right. not a lot yeah. of training for this. So how do most coaches coach the way they were coached? Now that may not be bad or wrong, right? That might be right and good, but the problem is, or, or the issue is to be aware of is that, you know, coaching practices from the seven, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that don't shift with the time. It doesn't, it doesn't take into consideration that the needs of kids have changed. So, you know, we, we try to help coaches distinguish the difference between what we call transactional coaching and transformational coaching. Transactional coaching is it's about me. It's about my way or the highway. This is my program. This is the way we do it. And you line up with that, or, you know, I'm going to weed you out or, or it's transactionally. You could even be in the positive sense. You know, you produce for me and I'll give you what you want. And then kids that don't quote produce tend to be marginalized or you know, not really valued as contributors to the team and those types of things. So, you know, not all transactions are bad. Life's full of transactions. You know, I, I work and I get a paycheck. So that's not the point, but the, that it's all bad. But if that's all you're doing is transacting with kids, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to lead to a great deal of frustration with the 21st century athlete. And that's what we find. Coaches are leaving the business because, quote, kids aren't as tough today. Right. Well, I, I think kids are as tough as they've ever been. I just think they're subjected to so much more than I ever was. I can I can speak firsthand um, with the amount of competition, the pressures of social media. I mean, all kinds of different issues that uh, conspire against motivation and, and, and create entitlement and all these types of things. So uh, that's a transactional coach that, you know, it's about my way or the highway. And if you don't line up with that, I'm going to label and dismiss you versus what we call a transformational coach. And a transformational coach recognizes the power of the position of the platform called coach, recognizes that coach says are two of the most powerful words in the English language. Uh, They're going to use that platform to, to impart uh, life-changing messages that change the arc of a kid's life. For sure. And, and it's a long-term athlete development approach. So you ask a transformational coach, coach, how's the season going? Well, a transactional coach may say, you know, we're one and eight. And that's the first thing they, they say, right? Right. Because it's really all about results. But if you really ask, if you really dissect what I asked, how's the season going? That's a process question. You gave me a results answer. That's an indicator that potentially you've been conformed by a win at all cost culture. And you're, you're focused solely on the first dimension. I mean, that, that could be me easily, you know, that's been me plenty of times. So this is not casting stones at anybody. Right. Uh, but For sure. But to awaken to the opportunity, the bigger opportunity of being transformational, 
you may hear a coach say something like this. Uh, you know, I ask, hey, how's the season going? And they may say something like, I don't know, I'll tell you in 20 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when we find out what kind of husbands, wives, uh, you yeah. know, employees, employers, contributing Absolutely. members of society. And then, you know, the team's coming together. We're working hard. Uh, we're growing. We're learning. We've got a few issues, but we're learning to, to conflict, you know, manage conflicts. And, uh, oh, and by the way, we're five and five. See, that's part of it. So it's not to say the scoreboard doesn't matter. It's just saying that's that's a part of it, but it's not the whole of it. Right. And that's a transformational approach. So to answer your question, I think the biggest challenge, and I think anybody that's listening would say, yeah, you know, that's the right thing. The problem is we get conformed, especially as competitors, by the pressure. And if we if we don't take a journey of really rethinking and reforming, uh, it's too easy just to kind of just maintain the status quo, but it leads to burnout of coaches. You know, yeah. see coaches leaving the business at a, at, a, at an all-time rate as well. So, you know, it's to change the mindset, which which I would say is a second dimension issue. It's to change the mindset that, you know, the way I coached 20 years ago wasn't necessarily bad or wrong, but I do gain enough understanding now to say, okay, this is probably why I'm frustrated and what 3D can become is a framework to help gain some understanding so that we can be proactive in dealing with those second and third dimension issues that coaches didn't have to deal with 20 years ago. Yeah, 100%. And, and, I, and I love that you're addressing the transformational versus transactional. Because for me, what comes up for transformational, and there's there's a ton of examples out there in all sports. But for me, and having football being a part of my DNA, Pete Carroll comes to mind as a transformational coach. Um, and when we talk about transactional coach, again, not casting stones. And I'm going to bring up a show that's, you know, it's probably pretty popular right now within the football community, which is The Last Chance You. And, and when I say this, and I'm going to be honest, some of these shows are, they dictate the way we feel and see things based off the editing. So, I, so again, I don't want to cast any stones, but the coach for the latest episode is from what you're talking about, and from my perspective, is very transactional. It's all about him. It's what he's been doing to the program and what they need to do for him. But what's really interesting, and they've done a lot of editing with this show, they have a lot of these inspirational messages throughout the locker room. And one of them, which I coach this type of mindset with my athletes, it's, it's the win mindset, what's important now. And it's so funny when you have you have all of these conflicting messages throughout the culture when the coach is really doing something different from what all these messages so again not picking apart not throwing stones but just interesting um, and I think it's important that we're talking about what it takes to be a transformational coach versus a transactional coach yeah and, and you know it was 2009 when I first heard uh, Dr. Jeff Duke share the 3d framework. And, and earlier I told the story of being recruited and all that. And my, my friends and family going, why would you sign there? And I'd, I'd say things like, I don't know, there's an it factor. Well, when I heard Jeff share the framework for the first time, it was, it was an aha moment for me. Aha. <laughs> I love it. That's it. That's it. That gives now language to what I was able to experience. Coach T, my college coach, and the staff he created around him, 
they would have self-identified as quote 3D coaches or transformational coaches, but that's what they were, right? What 3D does is it now allows us to kind of bottle up the magic and now train coaches so that they can be very intentional about engaging their athletes in all dimensions so that they don't succumb to the pressure of just being merely transactional and they can become transformational. So really that's kind of one of our taglines. We, we try to empower coaches to create three-dimensional strategies so that they fulfill their transformational purpose. This coach, you know, that you're describing there, or, you know, even if you're just a pure first dimension only coach, it's not that you don't love your kids or like your kids, right? It's just, it's all about the physical. And when we don't have strategies or a framework to really see them beyond performance and the pressure is so great, it's easy to be conformed. Right. And we just kind of go with the flow, you know? And that's probably the way he was coached. Yep. No, I, I, I agree. Well, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, beforehand, before the, the show. You and I have witnessed, especially within the game of football, but also personally with all the sports that I've coached and, and been exposed to, I have seen all different kinds of styles of coaches. And I've seen a lot of coaches coach out of fear. And basically fear becomes the motivator. And I know some athletes respond to it in a positive way, but do you think it's healthy to coach out of fear or from fear? Uh, I would say no, as a general, just if you want a yes or no, no, because, you know, ultimately when it comes to motivation, I think that we really only have two options. You know, what is it that gets people to move to, to enact or, or pursue or persist, right? That's, that's the definition of motivation to pursue and persist. I want it and I'm willing to stay after it and overcome adversity, obstacles, play through pain, whatever it is. So that's motivation. If we want to, which is a second dimension issue. And if we want to motivate people, really, I think I thought a lot about this and feel free to push back on this, but I think we really only have two forces at our disposal to get people to move. All forms of motivation are going to be some manifestation of fear or they will be some manifestation of love. Mm. Now, love is one of those words that's tricky because it means so much in our culture that it means nothing. You know, you know, the common definition of that, which gives me pleasure. And, you know, certainly that motivates some people to a certain degree, you know, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. So I like to define love and, and the kind of love that really motivates the, the way that coaches want to motivate people uh, is really it's, it's sacrificial giving for the benefit of others. That's love. When I'm willing to self-sacrifice for the benefit of the cause or my teammates, that's the kind of the motivation that really drives incredible performance. That's what I was able to experience. You know, when, when my coaches created this atmosphere where relationships just were, were strong, the motivation for me to win another national championship had nothing to do with getting another ring. It was about, I'm not going to be the weak link to let my brothers down. You know, so, but fear, quote, works too, right? I mean, it can, but I would submit that, you know, when, when we harness the power of love to motivate, which by the way, I believe is the, the, the greatest motivational force in the universe. If part of a coach's job is to motivate, then shouldn't we be paying attention and accessing and harnessing the most powerful motivational force in the universe? Yeah. And I submit that that's love. Now, 
if you don't like that language because you're a coach and that just doesn't fit your, your coaching paradigm, okay. But again, remember how we're defining that, first of all. But secondly, just this should be so obvious it should be self-evident because you will do more for people you love than you'll do for anybody else. <laughs> right. Yeah. You talk about sacrificial giving. I mean, you know, I'm not going to just give a kidney to anybody. But if my wife or kids needs a kidney and I'm a match, I don't even really have to think about that. I mean, I will think about it because it's a major thing, but the decision's made. And that decision is, yeah, of course, because love will motivate you to do things for people. You'll do more for people you love than for anybody else. So when you can create a culture like that, where it's driven by relationships and love becomes the motivating force, what you'll find, and it takes longer to create that, you know, here's the temptation of fear. I can use it and get it to work and it works fast and I can harness that now and get you to move. So it, it's kind of the shortcut, I believe, but it's a diminishing return. Mm. Fear is, it's a, it's a form of extrinsic motivation. So it's going to require more and more to keep working and it's going to deliver less and less and less. And eventually you know, it's going to have it's going to have a physical, physiological, and even psychological effect negatively on your athletes over time. You know, some can survive it and thrive, and some can even thrive on it. For the masses, though, they're out. You shut them down. Yeah. And so, if you want, you know, anytime fear is the dominant emotion, it causes people to shrink back. Is that the kind of mentality and mindset you want? When the game's on the line, that kid's got to get up there and, and strap a free throw to win it with no time left. Do you want him thinking about the consequences of missing that? Or do you want him to be free enough where his identity is secure, that his worth to the team isn't based on what he does, and now he can just he's just free up there and can let his training take over and focus on the process? Yeah. That's what you want, right? So, uh, you know, so... You know, a lot of that second dimension stuff we're talking about that, that taps into the third dimension issues of identity and significance and purpose. So it's it's all kind of wrapped up together, uh, you know, because we're, you know, even though we use a pyramid diagram in three levels, the reality is, you know, we're, they all overlap and intersect. We're, we're holistic beings yep. and one dimension affects the other two. So fear ultimately is a negative, harmful emotion that uh, we try to help coaches move away from because ultimately though it may work it won't work for long right it's not going to create the right culture 100 percent. and i love this i love this concept of fear versus love and and i understand fear for some is so overwhelming but when you think about fear and the acronym of fears false evidence appearing real and that evidence that stops you that becomes negative and holds you back is created only by you so if we can empower these athletes to have a different mindset in the stressful position, in a stressful uh, game or practice, how we can actually help them form a different mindset that steers away from being fearful. We can, make, we can coach these kids to be fearless. And a lot of the time we can get that fearful mind to a fearless mind is basically, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to love the hell out of them. Teach them love. Absolutely. Right? And, 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 I'll, and you and I have talked about this, and I'll share a story that, you know, I spent the last three or four years coaching for an, an incredible football coach at Sarah High School in San Mateo, California. And he basically, his whole premise is brotherhood, 
but it's also about love. And every single time he has a parent meeting for the beginning of the season, he tells them right off the bat, tells all the parents, hey, if you don't like me saying I love you to your kid, then don't have him on my team. Because when he's on my field, when he's in my locker room, weight room, I'm going to love the hell out of him. And I'm responsible for your kid. So I love them. And so it's the way he says it with passion, it's just um, not only you feel it, but it's just like you realize love is part of the culture. Yeah, and I'd be remiss not to at least name drop Joe Ehrman here. Joe Ehrman and his work, Inside Out Coaching. Uh, incredible book, incredible work that he's done. Uh, as a former coach, really is where we've borrowed the language of transformational purpose from. Uh, and, you know, I love it. There's a great book that was the predecessor to the Inside Out Coaching book called Season of Life. And that was a book that was just more of the story of him and a coach in Baltimore, Maryland area that created this atmosphere, again, where relationships trumped everything and became really the, the, the ethos of the program which generated incredibly hard work and, and all those things in, in the first dimension. And they, you know, they've been incredibly successful while he was there, but they had two team rules is the bottom line. And he'd stand up, him and the coaches would stand up before the team and they'd say, they'd say this, they'd go over the team rules. First they go, what's the coach's job? And then unison, the players would say to love us. Mm. And they'd say, what's the player's job? And they'd say to love each other, but you got to define that. You got to work to define that because again, there's, Yes. So many false definitions of love yep. were, you know, where it becomes an exercise of self-interest, really. Yeah. Where I, it's, it's about my own personal passion or my own personal gain. So we got to work to redefine that. But, you know, I, I think of two stories uh, that illustrate this well. The first was I was at a clinic, chair in 3D. Afterwards, this middle school volleyball coach came up to me and she said, um, Hey, what do you, what do you say to a girl that she's an incredibly talented first dimension volleyball player? She's an eighth grader playing for her school, but also in the club travel world. And if she was one year older, the coach said she'd be a starter on the varsity and probably an all conference player. So for her peer group, she was incredibly talented. But what she said was, you know, when this girl is having a bad performance, you'll find her on the end of, end of the bench and she'll just be weeping uncontrollably. And I don't know how to bring her back. What do I say? And really, I don't, you know, I'm not a trained sports psychologist. So just for full disclosure, I'm not. But what 3D does is a simple framework that helps me kind of diagnose before I try to offer prescription. False evidence appearing real. Well, what's real is this girl's crying. Yeah. It's a second dimension emotional outburst. And it seems to be triggered by a poor performance in the first dimension. But it's usually going back to the heart at some level, right? So I just did a little diagnostic questioning, and I said, okay, tell me about this girl's experience coming up. I mean, she'd been, you know, how much she'd been on the, the travel circuit since she was two. Yeah, she's been, you know, she's been elite and traveling and all this stuff. So incredible, quote, investment, my mom and dad, which then begged the question, okay, what's the relationship like at home? You know, when, when she, and you can kind of see in the coach's eyes, she was trying to be kind, but she was just basically saying, yeah, when – when uh, when she doesn't have a good performance, we'll just put it this way. It's a long car ride home. <laughs> I bet, so, I bet. False evidence appearing real. I love that. What is the false evidence that's appearing real? Yeah. Here's the false evidence. 
that your value, your identity, your significance, your self-worth, and your purpose is all predicated on performance. That's a lie. And this world needs to be set free from that because she'd be so bound up in fear thinking about either A, the repercussions on the long car at home, or she's bought into the lie that I'm only as good as my last performance, which is something every athlete's got to get over because it's a, it's a bumpy road, right? So we, what I told her was I said, you know, again, I'm no trained psychologist, but my suggestion is you need to somehow un- unhitch her identity from her performance. Mm. You need to go and you need to drill her and drill her and drill her and drill her, not just on the volleyball drills, but on this nine word lesson that sports are what you do. It's not who you are. Yes. And if you can set her free from that and she can now just be free to compete, look out. I'll tell you <laughs> another story. Yeah. Right. Another story is a coach that, uh, <clears throat> he, he's, we did a little documentary kind of video on him. It's about six minutes highlighting a season. They won the state title in Altus, Oklahoma, um, in 2015. And it's a story of, him coming into town and it's a, it's a program in the, it's in the outhouse that he takes into the penthouse. Right. Mm. You know, they won the state title or he's our 3d poster boy. I mean, he went through our online training and he just ran the play. I mean, he, he went by the book. So it was, you know, a lot of coaches don't do that. And they don't have to do that. We want you to be creative with the framework to flesh it out yourself, but he just ran the play as we, we laid it out there. I mean, every drill that we, suggest him. He ran it. He did it. He implemented it. And it it changed the culture. So in year two, I mean, they're, they're playing for the state title and it's, it's just like the classic Hollywood ending of a movie or something. You know, they're, they're down by a point or two, two seconds left on the clock. This, this high school kid's got to hit a 43 yard field goal to win it. He goes out there before he goes out there, coach Reed grabs him by the face mask, pulls him over. And he said, Hey, I just want you to know something. Whether you hit this field goal or not, I'm still going to love you. You're still an amazing kid. Kicker looks at him and goes, I got this, Coach Reed. He runs out there. <laughs> he drills a 43-yard field goal to win it. But stop everything because, right, you know, just, again, the, the Hollywood drama here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Before he kicked it, man, they called timeout, and now he's got to hit it again. Mm. <laughs> Dude goes out there, nails another one. They win the state title. And just a, it's an incredible testimony, too. When you coach athletes in all dimensions of their being, you get the best out of them. Doesn't mean yeah. you're always going to win a championship. Right. I could also tell you stories of coaches that ran the play, did everything right, and got fired. Yeah. But here's the difference. They came back after the season and said, you know what? I wouldn't change anything that we did. Because even though I got fired and we didn't win a lot of games, I changed these kids' lives. Yep. But the evidence is, is real. And this is just, you know, this comes right out of the research. You can go to human kinetics and find books that validate the idea of holistic coaching. You're going to get a harder working athlete. They're going to work harder for you. They're going to recover from injury quicker. They're going to learn skills quicker. You know, they're going to be free. But ultimately what we hope is that coaches can impart that their transformational purpose to a generation of kids and change the arc of their lives. Mm. And that's when coaching it moves beyond success to significance. I love it. I love it. And I think when you, when a coach, when a coach can really coach the heart, man, beautiful things happen. And it's, it's just, and coaches know this, like I've known this, when you do the right things and, and the coaches are, and the athletes are bought into it, it is such a synergistic feeling that sometimes it, you can't even explain it, how beautiful it is to coach 
a culture and a team and an athlete the right way and they get it and everything just kind of, regardless if you win or lose, because there's so many lessons you can get out of, out of coaching. And I, I'm actually getting pretty pumped up right now, just even thinking about it, because it's just, it's a beautiful experience when everything is coached right, regardless if it's a win or loss, just coached right. And the, and the athletes are bought in. It's just a beautiful thing. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. How do my listeners get more information about 3D coaching? How can they get involved if there's coaches out there that, that want this, this program? How do they get involved? Uh, really what we do is professional development. And we do that in two primary ways. We do workshops and we do online training. If you're a listener who is maybe an authority over coaches or you have a great relationship with an administrator, somebody like that, that has the authority to say, you know, we want to offer this training in a group setting, go to 3dinstitute.com. You can, you know, do a request for a workshop. We'd follow up and we typically do, you know, two to three hour workshops that are introductory to the 3D framework. But really even that, that's the goal of our workshops is the workshop is not an end in itself. Really the workshop is designed to inspire, to, yeah, give some coaches some nuggets, you know, give them some second and third dimension strategies, give them a framework overview. But really it's to create a compelling case for coaches to want to take what we call the 3D journey. And that's a, really a journey through our complete training, which is an online process. We've got a course for certification. and We've also got a, a version of it called 3D Coaching Essentials. That's kind of a light version. It's about 75 minutes of online training. We'll just kind of give you the essentials. The certification course, uh, really it's that whole semester of classwork that we teach at the university shrunk down into about six hours and 45 minutes of training, where we take coaches on a process of rethinking and reforming, help them understand in more depth all of the second dimension issues of motivation, confidence, emotions, team cohesion, goal setting, the third dimension issues of identity, character, significance, self-worth, values, purpose, you know, all those things. But then we, you know, it kind of culminates with a coach writing that transformational purpose statement and really developing out strategies so that they fulfill it. And so that's that's our certification course. We call that the 3D journey. Uh, that's, again, at 3dinstitute.com. And then we also got a version of it that's offered for college credit. So if you got listeners that are in education and maybe need CEUs or, uh, you know, maybe working on a master's degree or want to take it for three credit hours, maybe for pay scale increase or whatever, you know, coaches know what they need. Uh, we do have a college credit version of that as well. Awesome. You know, Wes, this has been, this has been really, really exciting for me. I love talking about, I love talking about coaching. I love talking about affecting athletes in, in programs and cultures. This is, there's a lot of value to not only what you're talking about, but to your company and in your framework. So you know, I, I encourage all my listeners that are interested in being better coaches, go visit the website, learn more about this product or products and this framework. It will definitely help you. Um, Wes, I, again, thank you so much for being on my show. Uh, it was a great joy. It was fun talking with you. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs>